the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Coming up this hour, we're remembering the Beirut explosion one year later. And then we're joined by Ann Voskamp, best-selling author, speaker, and empowerer of the vulnerable. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. I'm Aubrey Sampson, joined by my co-host, Brian Fromm, and we're so glad to have you with us. We like on this show to bring to you, of course, local news, Chicago news, pop Mm -hmm. culture news, fun things like that. But one thing that Brian and I are really passionate about at The Common Good is remembering that as Christians, we are connected to the believers around the world. Yeah, That we have not just a local American Christianity, but a global Christianity. And a lot of our brothers and sisters in Christ, as we know, are suffering for their faith. And we want to be mindful of that. We want to bring those stories to you, and we want to remember to pray, honestly, for Christians around the world. And um, Brian, you and I were talking about this off air this afternoon, but I, I feel really terrible that I did not realize that it has been, one, that it's been a year since this explosion in Beirut of these grain mills, and two, that I don't remember this. <laughs> and so then I'm like, oh, why? I'm so myopic and like in my bubble that I don't know what's happening. But uh, do you remember much of this story? I do. And, you know, give yourself some uh, some grace. Uh, I was doing a radio show a year ago, too. So we had to remember these things. So okay, uh, okay. it was I just remember this story being wild because at first everyone's like, oh, my gosh, there was an awful terrorist attack in in Beirut, right? Like in Lebanon. And yeah. then it turned out that it was just poorly run, poorly housed, dangerously housed, you know, like uh, – grain grain silo and then you know ammonium nitrate and uh ignited and a fire broke out but that explosion i'll never forget if people haven't seen it go google it because it is terrifying horrific were, right like it, the world we live in there are people with you know cell phones like you know because the fire started so people were shooting the fire uh on their phones and then all of a sudden the thing explodes so it was just wild and i remember i think something aubrey that you're kind of touching on i think that is really important for us is I can get, I can get like just kind of, and this is understandable, but I can get kind of locked in, not just only on like just America, but I can just get locked in on like just my town or my life or even your own family. Yeah, that's so true. And I think we all do that. I remember having a conversation with my wife a cup like a year or two ago, and there was just this enormous news story. And she was like, I didn't hear about that. And I was like, what? But it it's one of those things where you just get so focused on your own life that even when, you know, a, a tragedy like this happens and then you so quickly move on, right? For the first week, you're like, pray for these people, pray for these people. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, a condo collapsed in Miami. Pray for those people, pray for those people. And then you just kind of 
forget that that ever happened. And so I do think it's important to remember these types of stories. Yeah, I think it's important for us to remember as well. And in fact, we have a little bit of audio from the story one year later um, reporting on Beirut. And I, I should warn our listeners, it does contain at the very beginning a sound of the explosion. There's some difficult descriptions. But what I want you to hear is there's this little conversation with a nurse who risked her life to save three premature babies. She was in the explosion in a hospital she went through the wreckage to save three babies. She's still in touch with their families today. And it, it actually is really an inspiring story. So let's go ahead and take a listen to that. The devastation is seared onto Beirut's landscape and into this country's psyche. One year after a hangar full of improperly stored ammonium nitrate exploded, ripping through the city's port, killing more than 200 people and destroying thousands of homes, the reminders are everywhere. At the hospital, in the shadow of the port, too, even if much of the damage has now been repaired. Nurse Pamela Zainoun is still taking care of premature babies. She was at work that day when the blast hit. She somehow made her way through the wreckage to rescue three newborn babies. The way I held them, the way I uh, went down the stairs to get them to safety, I can never forget that. The trauma lingers. Loud sounds are still jarring for Zainoun, but she now has an irrevocable bond. These babies are special to my heart. I still contact the parents on a daily basis. Everything negative that comes to my mind goes away when I see them growing and healthy as they are. The negative is harder to ignore for so many others who lost so much. Today, gathering at the port to mark the day. Okay, I you know, I know there's devastation and I never want us to gloss over the the pain that this city is still in. I there's a lot of protests happening today. There's a lot of um lament prayers being cried out today. But I also think it's powerful to talk about the stories of people who risk their lives, heroes in the middle of the story. And I think in that way we can realize that even in awful, awful yeah. situations, there are glimpses of hope and ultimately what we know as Christians is that's glimpses of God at work in the middle of evil. Yeah, and it is important. I think you put that well that that there are good people that that God is at work and and we can remember that when we go through our own tragedies. Yeah. We can hold on to that uh and and, and that we can be those people, right? Like where that's we right. are able to be those people. And you know, we were looking at another story that just as you were talking about this, that Christianity Today ran this week. This is kind of thinking about Christians around the world. Uh, the title of this article is literally, they cannot burn Jesus out of me talking mm. about Mozambique and the crazy stuff that's going on over there of, uh, of villages being raided, of people being killed. And you're like, how is this still happening in our world? And, and, and you, you want to ignore these stories, right? You want to be like, uh, I, I just don't even want to believe that these are happening, but happening. then you gotta, you gotta force yourself to read them and go, okay, no, we have to be praying. We have to be doing something, supporting the people who are over there helping because it's really a tragic situation going on in Mozambique. Yeah, one of the things that this article Christianity Today says is the violence in Mozambique has killed thousands of people and displaced upward of 800,000 people, a number that is growing rapidly and may soon reach 1 million, United Nations mm. is saying. For Christians living in the area, it's very important to have the word of God so it can renew their faith and hope in such a time of turbulence. I'm reading from the article now. 
the word of God can be used in efforts for peacemaking in that area as well as in the country as a whole. Mm. So this is, I mean, yeah, this is tumultuous. This is devastating. And I think this is a reminder, like you said, Brian, for all of us as Christians, spend every day on your knees praying yeah. for a different country. And I think today is the day we pray for Mozambique. Today is That's the right. day we pray for Lebanon. And um, just ask that God would show up there victorious over evil, bringing healing where there's heartache, as God can do. And yeah. praying that the word of God can go forward like um, some of these folks are talking about in Mozambique. Amen. I think the, <laughs> this sounds like a simple thing to say, but the, the, the God of you know, of the Chicagoland is the God of Mozambique is the God of Lebanon. And, you know, a place like Mozambique, I'm reading here, it says it recently jumped to 45th on the world watch list of nations with persecuted Christians. Like go spend some time on that list, go read it, the world watch list of persecuted Christians. And your, your faith is going to be challenged. You're going to, your mind will be expanded and you'll know who you might be thinking, well, who am I supposed to be praying for? Go to the World Watch List. Go to mm-hmm. Open Doors USA. Go to those websites. It's yeah. all right there, and you can find out about what's going on around the world. I'd like to mention, too, there are, I'm sure, a lot of organizations doing disaster relief in these cities. Uh, one that was mentioned in this Christianity Today article out of Mozambique is World Vision. They're an evangelical humanitarian organization. You've probably heard of them. But if there's some, if there's a way you want to actually support financially, Practically, I mean, prayer matters. So get on your knees and pray. But if you want to do some financial help, volunteering, spreading the word, you can go to World Vision and find mm-hmm. out more about their efforts in these countries as well. Um, well, Brian, as you know, I was in grad school the last couple weeks yes, and um, I had the opportunity to have some conversations on behalf of the common good with some of the authors and speakers that were part of our uh, cohort at Wheaton College. Some of those women were actually in class with me. Others, men and women, were teaching our class. They were absolutely incredible. And I'm so excited because I got to sit down with a woman who has become an absolute friend and a blessing in my life. You may have heard of her. Her name is Ann Voskamp. <laughs> she is a best-selling author. She's a speaker. She's an advocate for the vulnerable. She's actually going to talk about something that she and her family do together a way to partner with women, different parts of the country to, um, to lift them up. And that's not a lot of people know that she's doing that. They think of her just as her blogging and her writing, but she's actually doing some incredible, like on the ground work around the world. And so I am so excited for you all to get to listen to my interview with Ann Voskamp. That's coming up next after the break. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. I'm your host, Aubrey Sampson, and I'm doing something a little bit different today. Instead of being in the studio, I'm actually in the basement of the Billy Graham Center because I am part of the Propel cohort at Wheaton College in their graduate school. And I've invited some of my graduate school friends and professors to join Mm. me this week to do some really special conversations. And I am thrilled, thrilled, thrilled (laughs) to be joined by a fellow student, and a new friend. Also, she happens to be a New York Times bestselling uh, author. I know she doesn't want me to say that. Her name is Anne Voskamp. Anne, thanks so much for joining so us So happy and grateful. Privileged to be here. I am so honored that you're here. Really, really thankful. Thank you, Aubrey. Oh, thank you. I'm going to start crying already, and we're just starting. <laughs> 
Um, and before I, wa- I want to talk to you about your books. I want to talk to you about your ministry. I want to talk to you about the cohort. But yep. before we do that, can you give our listeners who might not know who you are kind of a brief introduction? Who is Ann Voskamp? Who is Ann Voskamp? <laughs> yeah. That's a complicated question. <laughs> um, I always say um, I'm a farmer's wife. Um, my husband and I farm um, 900 acres, um, about an hour and a half outside of Toronto, Canada. Um, we have seven kids that range from 26 down to six. So I stretch across a two decade span with kids. That's amazing. Um, our oldest son, um, Lord willing, is supposed to get married uh, in September to <gasps> a beautiful American young woman. Wow. So um, we have a wedding, Lord willing, in Aspen in September. So um, we have uh, four boys and three girls and... Um, and Daryl and I have a full life between kids and farm and ministry mm. at home, and I try to write out some words on the margins here and there, Aubrey. And you're away at harvest time, right? I am. This has been really hard. So the wheat harvest happened this week that I have been uh. at Wheaton, so um, that's been difficult. But, you know, the kids are a great team with Daryl, and uh. um, three of the kids helped Daryl. Well, three of the kids plus the six-year-old who was in the combine with him giving him a thumbs up <laughs> as they got the as they got the wheat harvest in. So Daryl liked to say that um, he was working on the actual physical harvest yeah. and supporting me as I was working towards the spiritual harvest oh, here I at Wheaton. So what a good man. He is. A, the far better half is at home, Aubrey. <laughs> We've been talking about that. The better half usually is it's the one at true. home. Yep. It's true. Oh, that's so sweet. Um, okay, so I want to ask you a couple questions about the cohort. So Anne yes. and I have been in grad school mm-hmm. listeners, in case you're wondering, for the past almost four years yep. now together, mm-hmm. earning our master's in evangelism and leadership. Um, so I would love to hear from you, Anne, what made you decide to start, first of all? Mm-hmm. And then what uh, what has been some of your experience? What has God done mm-hmm. in you over mm-hmm. these past four oh, years? That's a good question, Aubrey. I think um, I've always been a l- very curious about the world. I um, I'm a voracious reader, love learning. And when I saw that um, Chris was launching this program, mm-hmm. I had texted her and said, oh, you are living the dream. I would love to do that. Um, and I think that's exactly the point. Sometimes we stand off to the side and we look at someone and say, oh, I would love to do that as opposed to thinking, okay, so if I would love to do that, that that's actually a signal. It's telling me something that I can actually step into that. And Chris had texted me back and he said, well, if you want to do it, you can do it. <laughs> do you remember, you know, we have agency in these things. You're allowed to. Exactly. Right? <laughs> um, so um connected with Ed Stetzer, mm-hmm. um, who sort of like walked me through the process. And uh, I think it was just, I think it's really important. The posture of being a student is a posture of humility that says, I have much to learn. And it's, I mean, when we, I, we um, home educated our children all the way through. And I really have always believed that all you really need for a great education is a library card. Mm, wow. But I think beyond that, deciding to step into the master's program here at Wheaton, what you're saying is, I don't, I may not um, gravitate to the books that I need to learn to read from. That's good. To, yeah. And um, so to have a book list, a syllabus that somebody else beyond me with far different experiences can say, this is something you need to study and grow mm-hmm. in this direction. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important to be, um, like Dr. McGowan was saying yesterday as we were, she was unpacking what it means to be a lifelong learner, to be in community, to have um, growth conversations with other people who are digging into the same books. Yeah. Because you could read those books in isolation That's and true. you may be missing parts of um, of what that book is trying to unpack. And I just think that the your growth is so much richer and the breadth of what you're going to produce from those readings is going to be so far greater mm. when you're in conversation and community. Yeah, that's so so it's, so it's beyond just 
I think learning in community is where the growth actually happens, which is what we've experienced we the have. last four years. We have. It's been beautiful to be with the same group yes. of women from diverse uh, theological backgrounds, yes. diverse geographical backgrounds, mm-hmm. diverse age mm-hmm. backgrounds, and learn from one another. I think it's been truly transformative. Incredibly exciting. The diversity in the age and the backgrounds, um, not just the vocational backgrounds, mm-hmm. but the theological backgrounds mm-hmm. and the kind of conversations that have come out of that. Mm-hmm. And to see, like, we had young girls in their early 20s to like women in their 60s yes. all coming to the table amazing. with their life experience. It has been amazing. Yeah. And more than just intellectually formational, it's been deeply spiritually I formational. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like, Anne, um, I'm just thinking of listeners who might be hearing, wow, that sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I could even take the first step to do mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. Would you have any words of encouragement for them? If maybe they feel like God is calling them, but they're talking themselves out of it's it. It's so true. Um, those those brave women mm-hmm. who end up in my DMs saying, mm-hmm. oh, I wish I could do that. And then they always have this but. The but is um, lots of times, but I'm this age and mm. think that they're too old or but I haven't done X, Y or Z or I'm not sure what I'm being called to. And I think so many women in this program don't know what comes next. That's true. Even now, as we're about yes. to graduate, there's women saying that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yep. But um, take one step of faithfulness to see how God opens a door mm. as you're moving forward. It's been really exciting for women who've come in at one access point into this program and God has led them in a very unexpected way that I think sometimes we want clarity. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so God real. says, you know, I don't, it's not about clarity. Mm. It's about you coming closer to, to me. me. Yeah. And that's what yeah. this program has done as ushered you into a closer communion and union with him actually yesterday mm-hmm. when um what was the question dr mcgowan asked us yesterday uh something to the effect of um, the gist was how has the holy spirit mm-hmm. um come alongside you in your studies in your actual studies yes was such an amazing question yeah. that really caused deep reflection and i was so i said jotted down some ideas just thinking that you know for me i have realized that learning is has become um, a love language between me and God. Wow. Because, yes, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. learning, cause, because you're, mm-hmm. you're studying mm-hmm. sinners made saints from all across the ages yes. and stepping yes. into their spiritual journeys, mm-hmm. which has been deeply profound. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it's been more, uh, yes, there has been um, such a richness of theological information mm-hmm. over the last four years. But the information, more than information, it has been about intimacy. I agree with that whole. Yes. Mm-hmm. That um, you step into mm-hmm. and you think, oh, I think sometimes um, some of those women who end up in my DMs are, they're concerned about, oh, I've been out of school for so long. I couldn't step yeah. back into reading and writing papers. And right. yes, there, there, there's a bit that of a, a learning curve. That's true. And, and, That's and you true. do have to get up to speed. But ultimately, it's not about being intimidated by some intellectual journey. Yeah. You are being invited mm-hmm. into a profound um, spiritual encounter mm-hmm. with the living God that's right. who is going to shape and mold you in ways beyond that you could ever imagine. Yeah, that's right. So I, I if I could, every woman who ends up in my DMs with a butt, I just come alongside and cheer them. <laughs> right. Because right. God's, that's the Holy Spirit. That is the Who's Holy calling Spirit. you into mm-hmm. something more. Yes. And at the more... Isn't about a door. It's he is a door. He's calling you into more of himself. 
Man, that's so Well, they, you and, and I have right. experienced I, I that in the last four years. I, yes. Yeah, I will just sit here, listeners, and affirm everything and yes. saying that it has truly been an, uh, I mean, I might get emotional talking mm-hmm. about it, but it has been an experience of intimacy with God like yes. never before. Yes. And transforming, it's been transformative. It's been deeply, deeply beautiful. Certainly challenging at times, but but women or women, if you're feeling called at all, mm-hmm. take the next step, like Anne mm-hmm. said, and just see what the Lord might do. Mm-hmm. Be open to it. You can learn more about the Propel Women cohort at Wheaton College at mm-hmm. Wheaton.edu. And I know most people probably know you from your blogging, from your writing. Mm-hmm. What they may not know is that you and your family are doing something incredible, mm-hmm. partnering with artisans from all mm-hmm. around the yeah. world. Can you talk to us about that project? Yeah. Um, so um, I have traveled and seen the work of Mercy House Global around the world. Mercy House really came out of um, a really close friend, Kristen Welch, travels with Compassion International mm. and saw their work in Kenya. And um, just... <sighs> The dire needs of vulnerable young girls in the slums in Nairobi. Mm, wow. And um, and how those girls ended up trafficked and raped and mm. and the pregnancies that um, mm. just forced into abortions and wow. just really. And I was supposed to be on that trip with Kristen, and I ended up. Uh, I ended up having. I went on the trip afterwards, mm-hmm. and tr- Kristen and I were both deeply impacted wow. by our trips with Compassion International, and just couldn't come back to our everyday, regular, yeah. quote unquote, lives. Yeah. Normal, but isn't normal because that's not the rest. The way the rest of the right, world lives right, at all. Right. Um, and just, Lord, how can we come alongside and really partner with women around the world? Um, so. Kristen, I'm on the board then for um, Mercy House, and Mercy House has, um, I believe right now we have two um, safe houses for young girls to come out of the slums of Nairobi and come alongside them because there was such a stigma around those young girls. They they were kicked out of their schools after they were raped and then the ensuing pregnancies, which then just left them in such a vulnerable place for the rest of their lives because they've lost their access to education. So at Mercy House, we come alongside and make sure those girls get um, a solid, robust education. And then we were giving them skill sets to take out into the world Mm. and coming alongside um, their mothers, Mm. usually single um, women within the um, slums and their families, and really wanted to see what kind of skill sets could we give them so that they were actually producing something because we really believe that when we step into the creative process, yeah. like our creative Godfather, that mm-hmm. not only empowers us, but it actually heals so much so trauma true. in That's our true. lives. So out of that, um, we developed, um, Grace Case, which is a quarterly subscription box that cool. has all fair pr- trade products, that c- some that come out of Kenya, but from artisans all over the world. Yeah. Um, and Grace Crafted Home, which is a fair trade storefront um, that um, they can access either through Grace Crafted Home or in Um So that because everything in our home and that we live with is telling a story. That's true. And sometimes we we say, well, I'm not part of the trafficking in the world. I'm not part of oppression in the world. But everything that we buy is part of telling a narrative out in the world. Yeah. And if we want our lives to tell a good story, how does everything that we touch and wear and have in our homes wow. be about fair trade that is yeah. actually 
partnering and dignifying, empowering our sisters around the world. So the idea of grace case and grace gift at home is all the grace that I, and everything that I have in my life, it is a grace and a gift of the mm. Lord. So how do I take that grace and pass it on out into the world so that other women also experience his grace in their homes and lives too? I so it has been a utter joy wow. to get to come alongside those women all around the world and to experience the great joy of women who receive the grace case every quarter or make their birthdays or Christmas mm-hmm. about Grace Crafted Home, that they know that they're stepping into a story bigger than That's themselves amazing. too and being part of um being part of creating or ushering in shalom and the kingdom of God mm-hmm. all around the world. And it's fun to get Packages oh, in the gorgeous mail. things, <laughs> I mean, you know, that's like really win-win. gorgeous. And like, it's different than walking into Target and pulling something off the shelf yes. and buying it. I don't know the story behind it, but we make sure in Grace Crafted Home and Grace Case, you have a picture of the oh, woman. Really? Oh yes, you have a picture of the woman. <gasps> you know the story of how that now that she is creating this, mm. well, how it has changed her life. Wow. So we want you to know because yeah. I really believe that's when powerful, you look at Jesus, yeah, stories change. Our lives. Mm-hmm. That's why Jesus tells stories. Mm-hmm. And we want you to know when you go ahead and come alongside this woman by investing and buying this product from her, you're changing your story yeah. and her story. Yeah. Oh, that's so powerful. Can you, can you kind of set it really fast? Can you tell our listeners if they're interested in subscribing or finding out more? Yeah, about yeah. Grace Case, where they so, can find um, Grace Case, gracecase.com or Grace Crafted Home, but both of those you can find at annvosscamp.com. Grace Case is a quarterly subscription, which we like to say is the best fair trade subscription box you can get. And the best thing is when you give it as a birthday gift to somebody. That's a good idea. Or a Christmas, Christmas present. It, all year long yeah. and they open up and we really want you... When you open it up, like it's they're heirloom kind of products wow, that you okay. really, really love. So we, um, when, when Kristen and I, we try to think of when we're curating each of those grace case boxes. It's the wow factor. We want you to open up okay, and be wow. And sometimes women go ahead and they uh, they have grace case, but they set that aside as a gift. So when they get it, they think, who can whose who birthday could I get? Yeah. Uh-huh. So we are giving you a package too that if you want to pass on to somebody. So it has it has been an utter joy and to see how it has transformed. The lives of women all around the world has been just really a privilege of a lifetime. Yeah. Okay. I don't mean to keep hammering this home, but I do want to ask you one more question because I did also see something about Grace Candle, which looked oh yes, yeah. So I thought, Uh, what is that? That's great. So um, that has been really fabulous. I've got to to go to um down to Texas to get to see. These are women who have been refugees who've had incredibly traumatic fleeing experiences mm-hmm. out of Syria, the Middle East, who have been, um, who have come to Texas, yeah. tried to remake their lives. Wow. And so they are making Grace Flame Candles for us. And that's a subscription. We have a different scent every month. Um, so you, it's a subscription that comes to your house. So each season, I absolutely love that. And on the back side of each of these glass candles, the, oh, is that pillar? It's not pillar. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Um, jars, jar right, candle. with the lid. Um, right. On the back side, we have, um, it always is like a, like a piece of paper on it that has the days of the month. So like 31 days. Yeah. So you you light it, for me, I light mine every day mm. as a prayer candle that I'm praying for someone. So I, and other women go ahead and they use it for habit. Like I'm yeah. gonna, every time I sit down for scripture, I'm going to mm. check it off. So it's... The, actually, that grace flame is supporting two refugee families entirely. <gasps> that is their support. It's totally, wow. that, that's their only income. So we have hundreds of women who've gone ahead, subscribed to that. That's awesome. It has been. And those were Muslim families that came from the Middle East 
who've come to know Jesus Christ through this. So it has been uh, grace flame is if grace, you can't really have known grace Mm -hmm. and it not cause a movement and it has to cause a movement in you that you move out into the world. That's so good. And thanks so much. Oh, thank you, Aubrey. Um, We didn't even get to talk to you about your writing, but for people who are interested (laughs) in finding more about Ann Voskamp and what you're putting out into the world, what God is putting out into the world through you, where can they find you and connect with you? Yeah. So, um, I am writing at annvoskamp.com or on Instagram or, um, Facebook at Ann Voskamp. Um, and the blog is there and um, a lot of Christmas books and then 1,000 Gifts in the Broken Way, just unpacking. What does it look like to take all the grace that he has given us to give thanks for it and then the broken and given out into the world and pass that grace Beautiful. on? So it really is living a Eucharistic life, embodying what it means to come to his table, take the bread, give thanks, break it and pass it on. Wonderful. You mm-hmm. can find more about Anne at annvoskamp.com. By the way, she did mention her Christmas books. We use her family <laughs> Christmas Advent uh, book and experience every yes. Christmas. Oh, it's wonderful. wonderful. If you're looking Aubrey. for something, go ahead and grab that. You can connect with her on Instagram and Facebook. And again, you can learn more about the Propel Women yes. cohort at Wheaton College at wheaton.edu. And thanks so much for oh, being here. Oh, thank you, Aubrey. And I hope our, our learning experience isn't done. I've so enjoyed the last four years with you, Aubrey. Oh, a gift you. and a grace. I think the community that has come up around this class, I think special. we need to hold on to each other. I agree with that wholeheartedly. I hope we. Oh, oh. We're, Anne and I are getting nostalgic <laughs> because we're in our last class yes, right now. So yes. we're about to say goodbye. Oh, thanks again, Anne. Thank you, time. Aubrey. And, and just blessings on all you're doing. And I to you, my friend. And to you. May you establish the work of your hands. Thank you, Lord. You're listening to The Common Good right here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm, and we're so happy that you're with us today. So Brian and I love to talk about the rise and fall of Mars Hill podcast, not just because we want to talk about the podcast, because Brian and I are both pastors. We are passionate about the Church of Jesus Christ. And um, we're seeing this podcast, listening to this podcast really as a lens through which we look at ourselves as evangelical Christians and find out how we have allowed this sort of domineering pastor to rise to stardom like he did right and this week's episode was really kind of about the brand of mark driscoll did you get a chance to listen to it brian i did and i thought it was a real interesting take it was a real interesting way to go like they they really started to paint a picture as to how um strategic it was like Mm -hmm. kind of on the front end of the internet kind of on the front end of like streaming your services uh, and it was painful again. You started to see how um, narcissistic and manipulative Driscoll was. Yeah. And I, I thought the, one of the more powerful, painful lines in the whole podcast uh, was uh, Driscoll seemingly at the time, at least unwillingness to come underneath anybody else's, else's authority, to come yeah. underneath anybody else's mentorship. When somebody yeah. suggested that he kind of, uh, look to somebody like John Piper, say an older pastor, seasoned pastor. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, he literally said, "How could I listen to someone whose church is smaller than mine?" Uh, I mean, there was a again one of the hard things about this podcast, and if you haven't listened to it, it is painful. But I would I would really recommend listening to it. It was really well done by Mike Cosper and by Christianity Today. Uh, what was so painful about it was 
uh, it feels like now when you look back, everybody should have seen this coming. And yeah, sure, there were right, some people right. who saw it coming, but Mark Driscoll was a rock star in evangelicalism in certain corners, especially yeah. of evangelicalism. Yeah. And, and now you look back and you're like, God help us that this ever happens again. But the truth of the matter is it's happening now. Like it happens all yeah, the time. It happens and, all the time. Right. Yeah. There's so many red flags, though, and you just see them lined up with each other. And it's really hard to listen to. I think one of the parts that was devastating for me was when I, uh, I'm going to forget the actual roles, but it was two of his media guys that were right. being interviewed on the show. And they talked about how they were overseas filming a video with Mark and Mark was actually reading from the letter of Ephesians. And um, one of them looked at each other and said, this is us. This letter mm -hmm. is to us. We have lost our first love. We have started falling in love with Mark Driscoll instead of Jesus Christ. That's right. And I think that's ultimately the lens through which we all need to look at ourselves. Like, where have we uplifted the creation instead of the creator That's and right. where have we uplifted these like earthly heroes and it's okay to be inspired by people we share inspiring stories here on the common good all the time but we just can't worship them or make them god or assume they have all the answers or their way to eternal life only jesus christ has that That's and right. i you know it's a it's a good this is a good podcast for all of us to kind of check ourselves I think that's why Brian and I keep talking about so much as pastors. We're sort of checking our own hearts as we listen to this and thinking about the state of the church. Yes, I think that's so true because there's so, like I said, there's so many red flags for leaders. The way Driscoll, it seems mm -hmm. like um, it was all about him and he yeah. wouldn't come underneath anyone else's authority. But also just along the way, the number of people who turned a blind eye to things that should have been called out in the name of the movement, in the yeah. name of the brand, as yeah. this one talked about, uh, is just so um, it, it's sad, but it's mm -hmm. also just a huge warning flag for all yeah. of us going yeah. forward. Okay. Well, speaking of people who should have been called out a long time <laughs> nice ago, nice uh, there's another interesting story in the news. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo it, the investigation has found that he indeed sexually harassed multiple women leaders, including Biden, is calling for his resignation. And yet the guy doesn't want to let go. What do you think right. about this story, Brian? Yeah. And I think people are like, wow, that's a big right turn. I actually think these stories have some common threads to them. And that is narcissism. That is feeling like you're, uh, you know, it's all about you. Like, I, I think Cuomo, as you read the stories, uh is I don't know what's the strong word that we're allowed to use on radio. He's just a scumbag. Yeah, and he used yeah. his power and authority to really prey upon women to really, but also created an environment. It wasn't even like these one offs, but everybody else was loving working for him. You know, it, it, the, the report that came out from the New York attorney general really paints a picture of an, of a working environment that was based on fear and intimidation and pressure and, uh, if you don't do what I say, then you're mm -hmm. going to be punished. All of this stuff. Uh, uh, and, and it lent itself then to an environment where he, uh, according to the New York attorney general, um, sexually harassed many women within his office over whom he had power. He's got to resign. He probably isn't. Narcissists don't tend to resign. <laughs> So, right. so therefore, he needs to be impeached. Yeah, it's good that other people are coming out and saying like the governors of New Jersey and Connecticut. And like you said, Biden being like, oh, it's time. There is the cynical side of me that goes, where were you guys before? You're well, using this report as right, cover. Right. And, and that that's disappointing. But we're all we all get that from politics. 
Uh, I'll give them a better late than never, but this is uh, this is convenient cover for them. But I just don't think there's any conceivable way that New York can. And this is a a longstanding political New York family. His dad, you're from New Andrew Jersey, Cuomo. So you're yeah. like you're connected to this. Yeah. yeah go ahead. Andrew Andrew Cuomo uh, is the current governor. Mario Cuomo was the governor for years when I was growing up. That's his dad. Uh, and Chris Cuomo is the guy on CNN. And you're just like, it's this this kind of well-known family. But he has to go and and maybe even get prosecuted. I don't know if it's going to rise to that level. But hopefully the state of New York, when he doesn't resign, and yesterday he made it very clear he wasn't going to resign. He wasn't going to, right. When, when he doesn't resign, then they need to step in and impeach him. Just a, a bad dude is really what I what I when I watch the reports, I just leave there going, man, what a bad guy. And I think the larger conversation is something you alluded to, Brian, with this is with uh, pastors. This is with our leaders. This is with our politicians. Right. There have been warning signs of this stuff. There have been women coming forward. There have been stories for a long time. And the fact that this al- was allowed to continue, this is where we all have to go. OK, this this has to end now. Like, yeah. we just as a people cannot allow these people in power who are who have. Now, I understand that there are some uh, I'm not even going to say that we cannot allow these corrupt people in power to continue without holding them accountable at first light. You know what I mean? Like at yeah. the first sign, yeah. let's believe the women. Let's believe the victims. Let's do the best we can to hold people to task and go from there. So it doesn't have to like last as long as it has. I, right. I, you know, and I, anyway, I think that's a word for all of us. We, when we see it, we need to say something. And if there's a power dynamic where we can't, then I guess ask for the Lord and community for help to make some mm-hmm. changes. At the mm-hmm. end of the day, I'm glad to see that these stories are coming forward from churches, from our politicians, because it doesn't seem like God is allowing this kind of sin to stay in the darkness anymore. And I think that's a good sign. The Lord is at work in all of this, even as hard as it is. There does seem to be a reckoning going on. Yes, certainly there is. We'll stick around. Coming up next, we're going to talk about masks and schools in the fall. Should be an interesting conversation. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Coming up this hour, masks are going back on students at school. Aubrey and I are going to discuss that. And then we're excited to be joined by Sharon Hottie Miller, pastor, author, and speaker. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today, yesterday. The governor, Governor Pritzker, the governor of Illinois, made, I was kind of surprised by this, a statewide mandate. So now it's no longer uh, in the hands of local school districts or anything. A statewide mandate uh, saying that all students K through 12, regardless of vaccination status, uh, are going to start the school year in masks. Yeah. This is public school and private school. So any school in the state of Illinois uh, I, I'm guessing there will be, especially some private schools fighting this really hard, but there's like, there's some teeth to this as a, as a, a fines and accreditation and other things. So it's not like, Hey, we would like you to wear masks. It's like, no, you're going to put your students in masks. Aubrey, you and I both have, uh, high school students, middle school students, uh, I feel like two weeks ago, three weeks ago, our schools were about ready to send the email. Uh, mask optional. And I was super excited about this. 
and now it feels like we've gone the other way. Mm-hmm. I, I would love to know what you think about this, particularly as a parent with school students, but also the rest of co- we're moving this way. You and I were talking about Panera and yep. Menards and yep. all of these things. Yep. We're, we're, we're kind of back to where <sighs> we were. Just tell me just before we get into it, just how are you feeling about this? You know, I'm actually not surprised. I, I even though it was, I, there was some conversation that it was going to be mask optional. I was always skeptical that it would be. And I fully expected our kids to be in masks mm. in the fall. That which is, so it doesn't actually surprise me. I'm not like, I'm bothered by it, but I'm not shocked by it. I really think, uh, Post Christmas, that's when I think I'm going to start to get a little frustrated if things mm. haven't changed. Um, I'm also, I mean, you know this about me. I'm also willing to do what it takes for the not to, you know, no pun intended, but for the common good. So if this helps move things along so that this pandemic can come to a final end, then like, fine. I don't want my kids to be in masks, period. Yep. But we're all willing to take one for the team if we have to. But I don't like for vaccinated people. Like, this is what you and I have talked about. The point of getting vaccinated was so that we <laughs> yes. didn't have to wear a mask. You know? That was one of the points. That, <laughs> uh, you said something really interesting. You're like, I'll be really bothered if after Christmas. Uh, it, we could go back into the archives of this show when Ian and I were doing the show. And I guarantee you, you can find me about a year ago going, I just can't picture us having to do this after Christmas. Oh, last year. Wow. And here we are a year later. Yeah. And I feel, I find myself really discouraged by this. Mm. I find myself going, I can't believe we're here. I, like you, I'm going, listen, we're vaccinated. Like, what are we right. doing? Right. And I'm also getting to the point where it's just like, like you said, we'll take one for the team so we can get over this. It's just might be here for good. It like might this be This just here. might be what yeah. we do. Yeah. And are we really just going to wear masks all the time? Like, at, at, uh, I get it. Like, we're the whole Delta variant. All the like mask that. makers are like, yes, finally. <laughs> That's where you got to buy stock. Our moment stocking. has come. That's where you got to buy stock. Yeah. Like, I feel like, and I get it, the Delta variant yeah. and all of this, yeah. but it felt like midsummer here. We had gotten our footing a little bit to some normalcy. Yeah. Like, okay, like we're gonna have to live with this, and uh, I, oh, but man, you and I both we're both vaccinated, and we're just want to be like, really, Ugh. I'm vaccinated, but now Ugh. I'm having to put a mask Ugh. back on when I yes. go to Panera. Or I my saw kids that Disney cool. World put their mask mandate back up, and that you know made me think like, oh no, here we go again. Although, did you hear this, Brian? I, this is maybe hearsay because I heard it from a friend who's a school teacher in Florida. She was saying their governor is not going to fund schools that make that's right schools wear yes. masks, that yes. he's pulling funds from them. So it is interesting people all over the world and their different reactions like we're still here where we don't have common ground on this issue. Yeah, in Florida, yeah, DeSantis made, I believe, a law that made it illegal to make a mask mandate, whereas wow. our government, again, this really, it, this is wild, but it's been this way for a year and a half now. Uh, about the pandemic is it really cuts straight along the partisan lines. Mm, it <laughs> and does, we ha- doesn't it? We happen to live in a very blue democratic yeah, state. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, versus uh, Florida, you know, Ron DeSantis is like, nope, you're, we're not going to do this. Tennessee, you know, these kind of uh, Republican states. What is uh, so people can hear the frustration in your and I's voices as parents, as just vaccinated people, as uh, <laughs> as a merit, whatever, you know, right. it's just kind of like Americans. It, it, we are so far into this. And I did. I had a talk with a buddy the other day. We were both just kind of like, 
maybe it's time we just say this is going to be here and we just got to figure it out, mm. you know, got to figure it out uh, that maybe the whole like, well, let's do this until it's gone. It's just going to be a cyclical thing. Like it was gone kind of in the summertime, but let's circle it back again. Uh, what do we do, Aubrey, right now as churches when undoubtedly this comes out later that <sighs> you should be wearing masks in yeah. churches again yeah. and people are emailing us both ways, but also just as neighbors, as Christians, like, Let's remind one of what's the posture you would tell somebody, regardless of what they believe about masks and stuff? What's the posture that we probably need to remind ourselves of? Yeah, I mean, I think we need to remind ourselves of the posture of Jesus Christ, who, though he was God, gave up all of his rights for yeah. us. And ultimately, I don't even want to say that, to be honest, because there's a part of me that wants to be like, nope. I'm not going to do it, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. but I think ultimately as Christians, like our, this is not the hill we want to die on. There are other hills, like there are hills of persecution. There are hills about abortion, pro, you know, pro-life stances. Like there are other hills that are worth fighting, fighting for. I think if this is better for our neighbors, if this helps the vulnerable, if this helps put an end to the pandemic, then let's get our the best masks we can find, put <laughs> the them on, <laughs> and love our neighbors. And listen, I hear those of you who are like, heck no. I'm yeah. with you. I get it. I mean, in my spirit, I'm like, heck no. But I also know that the Bible, that the Lord Jesus Christ is my ultimate authority and my model for life. And therefore, I'm going to submit to the what I think Jesus would do. And I know there's probably even controversy about that. But yeah. I'm yeah. going to submit to the best of my ability to what I think is the godly decision here because I am not my own. I belong to the Lord and I belong to loving my neighbor. What do you yeah. think, Brian? No, that's good. I think... Uh, I'm going to have a hard time. I don't foresee like as a pastor going, hey, you have to wear a mask. No, again. Like, me neither. Definitely not. Yeah. Uh, but I do think uh, part of being a good neighbor and part of being a Christ follower is in these sorts of things where um, uh, where uh, emotions are really high. We can uh, we can be the peacemakers. We can mm. be the ones to kind of step in and say uh, even we don't have to be the ones raising the temperature on everything. And a lot of times we are, and I get it. Like I'm really frustrated that my kids need to wear masks. I mean, even part of the governor's thing said any indoor sports have to go back to playing in masks. And you're like, that's just not good science. It's crazy. It is crazy. Yeah. But the question is, how are we going to approach other people who disagree with us yeah. online or yeah. in other places? And here we are again, <laughs> another more shows on COVID, Aubrey. That's what we got in front of us. Oh, so. Here we go. Let's get ready for it. It kind of stresses me out, Brian, but uh, we will yeah. make it through. We will encourage you along the way, listeners. Well, coming up next, we're going to have a little palate cleanser. Again, uh, uh, we've been saying all week, Aubrey spent some time in grad school over the last week or two, and she was able to sit down with some amazing authors and speakers who are part of the Propel Women court, uh, cohort at Wheaton College. And so that's why you've gotten to hear from Christine Kane this week. You heard from Ann Voskamp earlier. And now uh, you're going to get to hear from an author, speaker, teaching pastor at Bright City Church in Durham, North Carolina. Her name is Dr. Sharon Hottie Miller. So we'd encourage you to stay with us for Aubrey Sit Down with Sharon Hottie Miller. Coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. 
everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. I'm your host, Aubrey Sampson. Thanks so much for joining us today. We're doing something a little unusual today. We are not in the studio that we're normally in, but I'm actually in the basement of the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton College because I am part of the Propel Women grad school program here at Wheaton getting my master's. I'm almost done. Very excited about that. And so I have invited some of the fabulous, incredible teachers that are going to be with us this week to join us here on The Common Good so you can learn from their wisdom and so we can talk a little bit about the program. Today, I am thrilled to be joined by Dr. Sharon Hottie Miller. Sharon, thanks so much for joining us. It's fun to be with you. Sharon is an author, a speaker, a teaching pastor at Bright City Church in Durham, North Carolina, and we are so thrilled to have her. Sharon, can you tell us a little bit about yourself before we jump into talking? I mean, you just kind of summarized it all. (laughs) (laughs) I I think the only important thing is my husband is the lead pastor at our church, and we have three kids. (gasps) You do? How old are they? Yeah, my oldest is almost nine, my middle is six, and my youngest is three. And the two oldest are boys, and the three-year-old is a girl. And you have a girl. I have three boys. Oh, okay. So they're um, almost 15, almost 12, and nine. Okay. So we're just like a little bit ahead of you. Yeah, uh-huh. That's that's really fun. So that's a significant piece. <laughs> that's a major uh-huh. piece of who you are, yeah, for sure. How long have you and Ike been married? We've been married going on 12 years, I think. Something like that. Awesome. Congratulations. <laughs> 12, 13. I can't I want to talk about pastoring. I want to mm-hmm. talk about Bright City. I want to talk about your book. I have so many questions I want to mm-hmm. ask you, so I'm going to jump right in. Okay, your book, Free of Me, which I love this book, by the mm-hmm. way. Free of Me, Why Life is Better When It's Not About You. Mm-hmm. Tell us what inspired you to write that. Yeah, so I was in ministry for, I've been in ministry my almost my entire adult life, basically. And like most people going into ministry, I started out just for the love of Christ. You know, I mm-hmm. love teaching scripture. And that was, that was, there was inherent joy in that. But a number of years ago, I began comparing myself to other people in ministry or people who were ahead of Mm -hmm. me in ministry and wanting to compare well or wanting, you know, the approval or acknowledgement of people ahead of me and became really, really insecure. And I began this journey of trying to understand where my insecurity was coming from. And so I started by addressing it, you know, like a lot of us do, started reading books, started reading blogs, started reading articles about insecurity, started reading, you know, what does the Bible say about me? Mm -hmm. Um, What how does God love me? What is his plan for me? How does he delight over me? And speaking all of that over me. And did that for months and months and months to try and address this insecurity. Mm And then at the end of that journey, I realized that it had not worked. <laughs> it hadn't helped. Wow. You know, I it wow. wasn't touching that insecurity mm-hmm. inside of me. And, and I imagine anyone listening right now can relate to that where you're you're following Instagram influencers, you yes. know, who are telling you how good you are and how great Mm -hmm. you are and how, you know, God loves you. And it's not actually touching that insecurity inside of you. And a lot of us, I don't even think get honest enough to acknowledge that that this is not healing me. And so I had to back up and reapproach scripture and ask, you know, not what does the Bible say about me, but instead I started asking when people in scripture who have insecurity, who struggle with inadequacy, go to God, 
what did God actually say to them? Wow. And that was the origin for this book, where okay. I realized that for, for some of us, insecurity is called caused by low self-esteem. Yes, amen. The gospel answers sure. that. Yep. But there's another cause of insecurity that we almost never talk about, and that is self-preoccupation. Wow. Okay. Do you? I don't want you to spoil your whole book, but can you unpack that just a little bit more? Yeah. So self-preoccupation, the reason that it causes insecurity is it turns everything into a referendum on you. You know, mm. you're, everything you do, and, and we see this, the great example of this is Moses, where he goes to God, you know, saying, I can't do what you've called me to do. Right. And rather than, you know, affirm Moses, God basically says, I know you can't do this. Mm. Like that. I I was not expecting you. I wasn't expecting you to, you know, I'm going to do this thing. Mm. And realizing how, when you believe you are the hero of the story, that is a terrible burden to bear. Oh yeah, it is. And I, I realized I'd, I'd made ministry about me, wow. and it was it was crushing me. Yeah. And so I needed to do the hard work of reorienting my focus back on Christ, which is easier said than done. Sure. But I was at the right starting point at yeah. that place, yeah. and it it really changed my life. And do you feel like now, when kind of insecurity or that inadequacy or that temptation to be self involved mm-hmm. when that kind of sneaks back in do you have a do you have a practice you go to or like a prayer you pray or what what kind of reorients I you? do I mean that's it's right there in scripture every time it says meditate on God's word mm-hmm. you know meditate on his law you know spend time reflecting on God's word that that's not just a good Christian thing to do but God is trying to rescue you from your self focus wow. he's saying that you're you're like Peter in the ocean you're looking at the waves look at me mm-hmm. and so I've started recalling who is God's character, who is God. And I literally had a notes app in my phone of just God's traits, his his attributes, and I would just read through them. And I don't need to read it anymore. It's just I know it by heart. But that, as simple as it was, that was the thing that, that interrupted that me spiral yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> was my that's really good really, remembering yeah. you got it yeah uh-huh yeah that's, that's all it's good mm-hmm. and then do you feel like sort of i mean i know you have you don't ever arrive but on the other side of that posture switch in your mind from mm-hmm. being more self-absorbed to realizing oh this actually is about the lord and not about me what has been the difference for you internally and then even in your ministry i've become less afraid of humility Interesting. You know, and even humiliation. Mm. You know, there, I've realized that this is, you know, there's some forms of humiliation that are wicked, <laughs> you yes. know, but there can be a kind that is a recalibration of your soul mm. where it's, it's, it hurts in the middle. You know, I think when you feel insecure, the temptation is I need to counter that by making myself big again. Yeah. And sometimes I hear that now as an invitation mm. to let go of That's my good. reputation and to point people to God. And yeah. so I've become a lot less afraid of humility mm. and when it comes and just to welcome it instead. Oh, that's that's so good. I feel like you're ministering to me right now. I need this word. So thank you, Sharon, <laughs> for that. Hey, with another minute or so that we have, you are teaching my class. Mm-hmm. I feel very honored to mm-hmm. learn from you in a couple days. Can you give us a little highlights of what you're teaching the Propel cohort here at Wheaton College Grad School? I'm going to be sharing my doctoral research that I actually did just down the road at Trinity oh, Evangelical nice. Divinity School. So yeah, I looked at why evangelical women go to seminary. So oh, that's, that's going to be so <laughs> interesting. And that's on Wednesday I wish people morning, could right? have seen your face, like your jaw dropped. Like you're like, that's me. That is yeah. me. Yeah, I'm so, so excited. 
we started talking about one of your books called Free of Me, Why Life is Better When It's Not About You. You actually have another book mm-hmm. called, uh, okay, wait, nice. here's, nice. I was going to say it's called Nice. Yeah, I called love that nice. title. <laughs> nice, Why We Love to Be Liked and How God Calls Us to More. Hearing that, Why We Love to Be Liked, this is that is true. Okay, tell us about Nice. What is that about? So that book actually came out of my first book, Free okay. of Me. So in that book, I I think it was in like the first the first chapter, the introduction, something like that. There was a little line, like I was reflecting on my childhood growing up, yeah. and I was talking about how I was this nice Christian girl mm-hmm. and how. I, you know, was a high achiever and I lived to please, you know, all the adults in my life mm-hmm. and I loved their approval and how at the time, if you'd asked me why I was a nice Christian girl, I would have said because of my faith, you know, because of Jesus. Yeah. But in hindsight, I could see that my motives were a little more mixed than that. And mm-hmm. I was all of those things. I was very obedient, well-behaved, all of that because it got me things, you know, it, it got me approval, wow. you know, it, it, it caused people to like me. And so I'd written just like a paragraph or two about that in Free of Me. And then I didn't plan to revisit it. But that idea followed me and started to haunt me a little bit because I realized I had not discarded it in my childhood, but I had carried it into adulthood and I'd carried it into ministry. And I I realized how I realized that this was happening when there were a few topics that I knew were biblical things to address, Mm -hmm. but I didn't want to talk about them because the world, the culture we're in would say, no, that's too controversial. And I thought, wait a second, you know, I'm called to to say whatever Jesus says, and it doesn't matter what the world, specifically church world, thinks about that. And if I'm hesitating, why is that? And that was when I realized it's because being this nice Christian woman had served me really well. And I was afraid of what would happen if I stepped outside of that. And so that that was kind of the beginning of of that idea. But also realizing I I wanted to dig deeper into this nice Christianity. You know, I'm from the South, Mm -hmm. and I think the Midwest is a little like this, too, where we are all very good at looking good. Like we know how to be you have that appearance of being a good Christian, yeah. regardless of what is going on underneath. Yeah. And we're a lot like one of the metaphors I use is like we're like tr- Christmas trees, you know, and at Christmas time you get this tree and you decorate and it's beautiful and it smells good and it, you know, lights up your house. But that tree is actually dying in yeah. your house. Yeah. And if left long enough, it'll start to you know, get crispy and brown and it'll start to smell. But for a long time, it looks great. Beautiful, right? And that's how a lot of Christians are. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to dig into this false discipleship that we, many of us have grown up in. Wow. Where we're being raised into the appearance instead of the real thing. Oh, Sharon, I have got to pick up this book. I mean, you are you are right on. I feel like especially, I don't know how this played out for you during COVID, but I felt like as controversial things or seemingly controversial things were happening in the world, mm-hmm. it did become a very difficult moment for anyone, kind of what do I say publicly and what mm-hmm. don't I, for fear of just mm-hmm. exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And that's interesting to me. I never would have thought about that as because we've been discipled in 
to niceness. To niceness. Especially yeah. Christian women have been discipled. Yeah, which niceness. is not, niceness is not a fruit of the spirit. <laughs> now, I'm I'm guessing the opposite of niceness is not meanness. Mm-hmm. So where do, what's sort of the antidote? Like, where did you land in your book? Yeah, I mean, people often say, don't we need more niceness? You know, you look at social media and it's just a hot mess. Yeah, and so exactly. people say, well, don't we need more niceness? And what we really need is kindness, you know? Mm. And there's there's a great distinction. This is not original to me. I think the author is Barry Corey. I think that is his name. Okay. And he has a book called Love Kindness, I believe is what it's called. And he talks about how he makes this great distinction where he says that he says um, niceness has really soft edges but a squishy center. Interesting. Harshness has hard edges and a hard center. Okay. Kindness is a blend of the two where mm-hmm. it has those soft edges of, of gentleness and patience and yeah. love, but its core is solid. You wow. know, it's, it has conviction. Wow. And one of the ways that you can tell the difference, just one of the ways you can self-diagnose is how you respond when your niceness or kindness is not reciprocated. Mm. So when you're nice to someone and they're not nice in return, we tend to become very entitled because niceness is ultimately about you. Like you're, you're yeah. trying to get people to be nice back to you. Yeah. And so when they're not, it's like they have betrayed the social contract. <laughs> so and true. you were like, how dare you? <laughs> you know, so I was true. so nice to you. Yeah. But kindness is about the other person. It's about loving God and loving people. Mm. And so it's not about reciprocation. It's not about eliciting a particular response. It's just about being obedient to God. And so that has always been really convicting to me because whenever I'm, you know, nice to someone and they don't reciprocate, I, I and I get really upset about it. I'm like, okay, what's course correct, course correct, (laughs) you know, (laughs) kindness, not niceness. (laughs) Yeah. And so all that to say, we are called to be kind. Niceness is just the veneer. There's, there's nothing underneath it. Oh, that's, yeah, that's really, wow, that sounds really good, Sharon. I can't wait to read that. Um, Okay, so you and your husband lead Bright City Church Mm -hmm. there in Durham, Mm -hmm. North Carolina, where you're from. What has been, what has it been like leading over the past, I'm going to say 15, 16 months? Pandemic is what I'm asking. What has it been like leading in the pandemic? I mean, it's been hard, you know, like like anything else. It's it's been hard, but it's actually been full of opportunity Mm -hmm. as well. I've... If my husband were here, he would answer this question very differently for me. Yeah, our personalities are very different. But I saw this very much as an opportunity because we, this is a whole other conversation, but we live in a very Sunday-centric model of church. You know, that's kind of our our model of church is very Sunday-centric. And what the problem with that right now is the average church-going Christian in America only goes to church once or twice a month. Right. And so discipleship cannot happen that way. And so before the pandemic, I was looking at this model and thinking, this isn't working. This isn't sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. For life transformation. Yeah. And so when the pandemic happened and just took Sunday morning away, I actually felt very liberated. Nice. And I thought, okay, we don't have to do this anymore. We can focus on what actually disciples people. And so we pivoted really hard into small groups, which is how Jesus, you know, he discipled in a small group. And so my husband, his reaction is a little bit different. Asking, what would his reaction be? <laughs> he was he was a little a lot disoriented, you know, by having yeah. Sunday morning gone. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I actually there was a lot as hard as it was that specifically that model of discipleship and getting to really stretch our legs in this yeah. season. I loved it, and our church really grew because of it, and yeah. grew in ways that 
matter in the kingdom of God. Oh, I love that. So yeah, it's it's been good and bad. Yeah, yeah. For I think for a lot of pastors, uh-huh. that's true. And are yeah. you back now on Sunday mornings along with those um, communities mm-hmm. that are meeting? Yeah, we okay. just started back three weeks ago, meeting weekly. We were meeting okay. once a month outside, and we just started back indoors about three weeks okay, ago. Okay, that's about mm-hmm. us, too, so we're on the same mm-hmm. same track. Sharon, thanks so much for being with us today. It's been awesome. I have so appreciated your time. You can learn more about Sharon and her books at sheworships.com. You can connect with her on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, Dr. Sharon Hottie Miller. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Everybody, welcome back to the Common Good Aim Eleven Sixty Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us as we close up this Thursday evening. Hope you've got a great night ahead of you. The weekend is so close; we can see it. And then, Aubrey, you're heading out of town. We're headed out of town. Little vacation. I know it seems like I have been gone, but I really haven't been on vacation. I've been in right. graduate school, so this is our family vacation before our kids go back to school. So we in are fact, looking I would forward suggest- to some time away. I would suggest what you missed for the other day being grad school requires its own vacation afterwards. (laughs) There is some (laughs) major truth to that. I just hammered out two 12-page papers, too. So I deserve a vacation. Yeah, we hope you guys have fun on your vacation Thank at Lombard. You. And, uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Headed up to the Holiday Inn and Carol Stream. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> hope you guys have a great time. We've got good stuff planned for next week, so the show will still be rolling. Just won't be this. Maybe we'll call you when you're gone call one of me. these days. <laughs> I know. I'm going to miss you guys, so you'll have to call me. <laughs> that would be, like, be fun. Who is this? Who this? New phone. What? Who this? <laughs> blocked. All of a sudden, the number is blocked. <laughs> oh, I, ho- well, I hope you miss me next week, Brian. You will be missed. Okay, you will good. be missed. Well, we wanted to close out the show. We always like to close with a little bit of challenge, a little bit of good news, but sometimes uh, things to inspire. But like I said, sometimes things to challenge us. And you and I both found this uh, blog post. Uh, from friend of the show, Karen Swallow Pryor. Karen's been on probably a half dozen times and is always uh, just wonderful. And, and so she wrote at Religion News, Aubrey, about this idea of deconstruction, uh, this idea of people um, tearing back all the way down to the foundations of their faith. We get a lot of that yep. going on right now with a lot of the stuff going on in evangelicalism, a lot of the kind of the thought processes of, say, millennials. Uh, and, and other people going, hey, deconstruction uh, is not the point. And then there's this idea of reconstruct. Anyway, so yes. she kind of dove into it with a story uh, from her own life. So apparently her and her husband, and she talked about this on the show she one time. She did talk about this. But they are basically remodeling for years here, an old kind of farmhouse mm-hmm. in Virginia. And she talked about as they were remo- uh, remodeling the bathroom. Uh, She said it had been the first room we fixed up 22 years ago when we moved into the old house. Oh, unbelievable. And basically, I'd encourage people to go read this uh, story at Religion News. But basically, as they started to un, un, uh, you know, take up tile, say, or take down a wall, they found so much rot that they had to just keep going. It would have been uh, it would have made no sense to just put down new tile. Right. Like, yes. Uh, when right. you find the floorboards rotted, you don't just tile over it. You don't just put up new drywall or, or wallpaper to kind of cover it. And, and she makes the interesting point that this is a lot of what's happening in Christendom right now and evangelicalism, that people mm-hmm. are looking back to what they've been given 
and they're uncovering and they're uncovering and they're uncovering and mm-hmm. they're having they're feeling this need to deconstruct to tear down all the way to the studs uh which is a painful process yeah. it's a long process yeah. and then putting words into Karen's mouth i think then she would say but you would never leave your room that way that's right, right. Like, that's you would right. never leave the bathroom yes. in her case torn down to the studs you then rebuild and and make it so that it's in that it's habitable uh, and so with that kind of, Aubrey, being the backdrop, the idea of deconstruction, how, where is it important? Where is it dangerous? What is ultimately the purpose of deconstruction? Yeah, you know, I, I am someone who has honestly struggled with folks who are deconstructing because to me, it's felt like they're doing it outside of the church. Like they leave a church because they're angry mm-hmm. and then they say, I'm deconstructing my faith. I am a, a bit more... Um, compassionate towards and willing to hear people that are deconstructing, but staying like committed to saying, Hey, there is rot. As Karen Swallow Pryor says, there have been major, major sins, racism, sexism, um, all kinds of ways that the church is messed up, but this is God's bride. I love this thing. And so I'm going to deconstruct from within. So like Karen Swallow Prior says, I can rebuild. Now that shows you a little bit of my lack of compassion. I I understand that people who have left churches have done for a variety of really, really meaningful reasons. They have been hurt deeply. They have been traumatized. And so I, you know, I hear myself and I'm like, okay, Lord, you need to convict me and give me more compassion for those who are leaving. But I think because I do love the local church and I love the bride and I know this is like, this is God's deal. I sort of have the fear of God in me where I don't think it's really um, fair for us to just give up. Like, I think as Christians, it is so important for us, like she says, to deconstruct so we can reconstruct. And what I love about Karen's call here is she gives us some practical handholds in this article. She talks about um, to reconstruct, we begin by doing what the Bible tells us to do in Revelation 2, 4 through 5. Consider how far we have strayed from our first love, repent of this, and return to Jesus. And I think that's really good. Yeah, yeah. I I, I like uh, what you said about doing it from within a uh, a community because there is something about one of the one of the bothersome things about this kind of movement of re- of deconstructing. What I would say is going on in evangelicalism is uh, when you add social media into it, there there seems to be this this pride in the deconstructing right now. Totally. Yeah. People like there's this badge of honor that I'm deconstructing my faith and there's not with this goal of reconstructing anything. It's, uh, it's kind of with the goal of like helping people see that, Oh, I'm better than what my parents used to do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this, this faith that, you know, uh, and, and that's not good. Uh, that's not a good thing, but what would you say, Aubrey, to the people uh, who do feel like they need to tear down to the to the studs? What's a 
What is a healthy way to do that process if the unhealthy way we've already said is to be really public about it on social media? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, going back to what Karen said, again, repenting that we have turned from our first love, remembering that Jesus is the head of his bride. And so it's really, it's not about reputation. It's not about money. It's not about power. It's about Jesus. I think, again, doing it community. Like a lot of people are feeling this stuff. Like there is a reckoning moment happening right now in church culture and evangelical culture. And so let's be with other Christians. Christians who are for the church, but but willing to talk honestly and speak love, speak truth in love about the church. I think we definitely do not turn a blind eye when people come to us with their pain or their trauma or they've been like with a um, corrupt leader. Like, let's let's not um, look over those things. Right. Sins of omission, as we are seeing, have been some of the dangers in the church. So let's not do that anymore. And then I think let's encourage this is something that Karen says, encourage, pray for, thank the pastors and leaders who get it right, even right. as we hold them accountable when they get it wrong, as we all inevitably do. That's good. And then here's the other thing that I think, Ryan, this is what we talk about this on the show. We talked about it at the beginning of the show today. Let us remember that this is not just an American evangelical, mm-hmm. little myopic faith. Sometimes I think we can get so focused that we forget there is a global church across history, across time, across space that God is making beautiful. And we can look outside of our outside of ourselves and see all the amazing things God is doing in and through the church. And remember, like this is still his beautiful bride and he is still at work. That's really well said. Let me end with how how uh, Karen ends her article. She says, a reconstruction built on the bones of Orthodox doctrines as old as the church herself on the word of God, the person of Christ revealed in that word and sealed by the work of the Holy Spirit will not only remove the rot, but will render unto us something solid, fresh and good. It won't be easy, but it will be beautiful. Behold, Jesus says, I will make all things new. I can't wait to see the before and after pictures, mm, Karen writes. Let's amazing. get to work. Such great a great ending. And it's I'd really encourage people to go find it at Religion News. But we hope that you felt encouraged today. We hope you felt challenged, had some fun along the way. We're glad that you joined us. And we hope that you join us tomorrow. It's a Friday. We hope that you join us tomorrow from 4 until 6. Uh, My name is Brian Fromm. For Aubrey Sampson, you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.